In this episode, we talk about how to get into DCC, whether you are new to the hobby or you are converting to DCC from DC. We give you some tips there. Um, Then we talk about kind of, I guess, some tips on what we use and and that kind of thing for building wood craftsman kits. Um, And then we kind of do a second review from last episode of the Mud Creek Models Moritz Rod and Reel kit. So stick around and we will get the show on the tracks. Welcome back. Episode 41. We are here. And yeah, uh, excited about this episode. We've got a decent amount. We actually had another uh, listener contact us, had uh, a pretty simple question, and we responded back to him. But I feel it's a good question, especially if you're new coming into the hobby. Um, and we'll start off with it. He was, uh, we'll just start with this. John B had sent us an email and he was asking us about the MRC prodigy advanced controller. So he has that. And he was basically asking if that is a good system in a sense to start with and, or should he look at upgrading because he's new to dcc and uh you know he he's switch finally switching over but he, he doesn't i get where he's coming from he you know do i stick with this or do i move to say a different system so depending on we're going to start out with this um, depending on a lot of these starter systems so like i'm looking right here uh at online at the MRC, their Prodigy Express DCC system. And that would be what I would call a a good entry level system. What you have to look for in these systems is not just the name. You wanna dig in and look at some of the details of it. A lot of it, there's basically three things that I would say that a person needs to really look at for a DCC system. First and foremost, how much power, how many amps of power does it have? How many amps of power, as an example, uh, the, the higher end Digitrack systems, if you put a, uh, an external power supply to it, you can take them from a five amp up to an eight amp system. Um, but, to get back on this Prodigy Express 2 system, it's a 1.6 amps it's amp system. So that's the first thing you need to look at. Uh, number two, whether it's two or four digit addressing, most DCC systems nowadays will accommodate two and four digit addressing. Where is that really that important? Not 
it that that's basically okay instead of putting in the three or four digit number that's on the locomotive uh you just put the two numbers well let's say you've got two locomotives one's 44 52 and you got another one that's i don't know 25 52 and you're trying to use the last two digits that can get kind of confusing so having the four digit addressing really helps and the last thing is how many locomotives can you run together simultaneously some don't tell you that some do a lot of that now don't get deceived by that because as a prime example i know the system i use of digitrax uh it says you can run up to i think it's like 99 or over 99 locomotives at once and blah 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 well okay the system's got the capability of doing that but does it have the power while i am running mine at an 8 amp system you also have to realize that depending on the locomotive okay so let's say you are using and i'm talking ho scale here but it's going to be about the same no matter what scale you are in fact the bigger the scale the more power the locomotive is going to take so you're going to get less and less um but as an example say i'm running a athern blue box locomotive it doesn't really matter if it's a four or six axle locomotive it doesn't matter what the actual locomotive is but a athern blue box well an athern blue box let's just face it those are entry level dc locomotives and you know so you go and put a decoder in them well you're going to want a decoder that's at least one and a half amps capable uh, uh it's got the capacity for one and a half amps probably a little higher if possible so always the little bit higher amperage that the the decoders can handle is better it's better to have a little more capacity than to run right at that limit and then you're burning up decoders and yeah it's but getting back to the athern okay i if and it all depends is it an older athern blue box because the older motors are not as efficient as the newer motors so there's a lot of variables there but okay so to get back at that so let's say we have a, uh an athern blue box locomotive we put a, a, a one and a half amp did or any it doesn't matter what brand but decoder in it okay now you are probably going to be running without putting any kind of draw you just set that on after you've programmed it it's running great and everything you set it on the track and you run it around you're probably going to be drawing anywhere from half an amp to maybe two-thirds of an amp when you without uh pulling anything now especially if you weight your rail cars per the nmra standard if you don't it's still going to affect it but maybe not as much but we're going to talk based off nmra so you have a string of cars um i don't know say 10 cars and they're nmra rated or weighted to nmra specs so you hook up to those and you start pulling with that same locomotive you just went you just went on a, from a motor draw of about a half an amp to maybe two-thirds of an amp to i'm going to tell you I'm, and i'm guessing i don't know exactly here but you know just this is more or less just to try to give you guys an idea here you're you're going to immediately jump up to at least three quarters of an amp or more okay 
you're probably going to be looking at one amp. Now, if you add more cars onto that, the more cars you add, the more weight, the more that that motor is going to need power to draw and now higher amps are required. Okay. So what does all that mean? <clears throat> okay. So to get back as an example, and in no way, shape or form, am I cutting down uh, MRC's Prodigy Express system? Okay. And we'll touch on a couple others here, but, um, but the, the Prodigy Express is a 1.6 amps of power. So that means it's putting 1.6 amps of power, regulated power to your track. So if you have one locomotive and let's say you're only pulling three or four cars and you, and you know, you can get as technical and spec it out and, and everything else, uh, get your multimeter out and test it. But you have a locomotive that let's say you figure out with five cars on, you're drawing three quarters of an amp. Okay. Well, you buy another locomotive, same exact type. You're going to pull those same number of cars. It's drawing three quarters of an amp when it's running around. Okay. You're at one and a half amps of power that you're pulling right on your track. If you're running them both at the same time, well, that's 1.5 amps. And the system is only capable of 1.6 amps. So you're one tenth of an amp away from hitting the max of that system. I'm a firm believer that try not to run things to the max. You know, if, if, if you are only going to be running, say you're running a, you, you only have a four by eight, or if you're an end scale, a two foot by four foot or whatever, you know, that you have a small layout and you're only going to run one locomotive. Okay. Uh, you don't need a huge system. This system could be fine for you. But if you're planning on, say, having one run in a loop and you want to run another one and you are switching cars and this and that, you may want to look at going to a system that goes, uh, that has a little bit more power. Now, mind you, we are also talking about locomotives that do not have sound decoders because sound decoders, the sound system and everything that, uh, that, uh, takes up more draw on power. <clears throat> so as an example, if you were coming into the hobby or let's say you're up, you are, you've been in the hobby and you're upgrading from DC to DCC and, and we're going to stick with MRC for right now. Um, but, and, and we'll cross over. And the only reason I'm going to Digitrax is because that's what I know, but we'll cross over to kind of give you some ideas uh, so you can understand why. But, okay, so it, you are coming into the hobby or you are in the hobby switching DCC and you know what? I've got a layout. I like running three, four trains at once. I don't care about sound or maybe you do. Maybe you do care. You have those two sound locomotives that you love and you want to run them together. Um, you're probably going to want to go to a bigger system. So as an example, since we're on MRC, <coughs> they have the Prodigy, excuse me, they have the Prodigy Advance DCC system, which is basically, uh, it's, it's, it's a basically a little more powerful system. You get a little more benefits, <clears throat> a little more features, stuff like that. They, you jump up to 
three, uh, well, this says 3.5 plus amps. So based on the way I understand a lot of the DCC systems, out of the box, this is probably a 3.5 amp system. You can probably buy a, like, like what I, how I'm running my system is I have an external power supply. I am not using the power supply that came with my Digitrack system because that only allows my system at a five amp uh, power. I have an external power supply. It just so happens it's the Digitrax one, um, but I have it hooked up into my controller. So it's pushing eight amps. So I'm guessing without going into reading the manual and all this and that, <clears throat> I'm guessing that's what they mean. So what does that mean? More power. Okay, 3.5 amps. We'll just base it off that. Remember before when we said you were running two locomotives pulling the same amount of cars, and let's say they were drawing three quarters of an amp each, you were at one and a half amps with two locomotives running at the same time. Okay, now you go into this system, you have two amps to spare. So if you decide, I'm going to pull these Atherin blue boxes off. I just got in these brand new sound locomotives. <clears throat> and now, mind you, the newer locomotives, uh, they are, the motors are more efficient and stuff. But we're going to stick with the same numbers here. So it's easier. I, you know, I'm just trying to help you guys learn here. But um, let's say, um, let's say pulling cars, these two new sound locomotives are pulling one amp or maybe an amp and a quarter. We'll even go stretches where they're going to pull one and a quarter amps a piece. You put them on, uh, you con system together, you put your, your batch of cars together. So now instead of pulling five cars each, you're pulling 10 for the example. And at one and a quarter amps, <clears throat> simple math, like one and a quarter plus one and a quarter is two and a half amps. Well, with this system, you have three and a half amps as it is right out of the box. You still have that little bit of extra power there. You're, you're not pushing the system to its max. You're not, you're not taking a chance of tripping it out. <clears throat> Excuse me, folks. Um, uh, several day, uh, several, uh, the last couple of days I've been outside shoveling and it's catching up to me. So anyways, you're, you're, you're not pushing that system to its max. And that is, you never really want to put, a, with anything really, you don't want to push to your max all the time, especially with electrical, even though everything, yeah, while it's not a mechanical connection, it's still electrical components. Electrical components have limits as far as, you know, power max and longevity and stuff like that. So you, you have to really think about whether you're coming into this hobby or you're converting, you're already in the hobby, but you're converting from DC to DCC. You know, how many locomotives am I planning on running at any given time? You know, um, am I, am like, as an example on my Iowa Eastern, I, I'm, I think, my max, I, I look at it as, okay, what is the maximum amount of locomotives am I going to have on my railroad at any given time running? Well, let's see here. I plan on having 
if I have, say, two other two friends come over to help me operate, do an operating session, I plan on having a switcher in one in, in each yard. So there's two locomotives, preferably sound equipped. Yes, volumes turned way down though, of course. Uh I plan on having uh at least one locomotive. And 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 not necessarily all at once, but the two switchers work in, or maybe if somebody gets their yard job done, they switch over to uh, a road locomotive, a road switcher, and then they go out and deliver cars and bring them back. Okay, so now let's just say we've got right there's three locomotives. <clears throat> That's on the bottom level. Uh, well, between the bottom and top. Now I have a locomotive up top. That's doing the same thing, going out, delivering cars, coming back. Now I'm up to four locomotives. Well, then my setup, I am actually going to have, I want to have as many as I can. I want to be able to represent this. I'm probably going to have a train that runs from the Egremont yard to the Montana yard, which will be the upper level. And it's a pretty heavy grade. Yes, it is. If you've watched any of my videos, you'll see, yes, it's a very heavy grade going to the upper level. Unfortunately, it's all I can do, but that's going to require at least four locomotives to pull that hill. I do have two locomotives that can pull. Uh, I want to say it's like 15 or 18 cars up that hill, and that's pushing it for those. So. By me pushing the locomotives to their max, I'm upping how much power it's drawing from my system. So right there, I'm looking at eight locomotives. Now, mind you, are they all going to be doing heavy drags, stuff like that? Probably not, with the exception of the four, you know, the, the basically the, the transfer, whatever you want to call it, that goes between the two yards and it goes to the second level. Most of them. Even the sound equipped locomotives are probably going to be three quarters of a amp max. So I'm at eight locomotives and we're just, you know, for easy numbers at three quarters a piece, you know, I, I'm not going to be at my max. I'm going to be, I'm going to have an amp or two to spare. And that's if they are all running and pulling uh, their maximum amount at the same time which probably will never happen because the way my layout is set up it's going to be shorter trains as far as the switching and stuff because let's face it i have limited space and i don't want you know i don't want a basically a spaghetti bowl of track i want to have some scenery so um now in comparison now we were we said this before we were going to kind of compare to say like a digitrack system so going back to the MRC Prodigy Express it's a which is their I would consider their entry level uh at 1.6 amps of power you look at the Digitrack's Zephyr system and that is actually a 3 amp system right out of the box they used to be like the older system. So if you happen to buy a used system where it's the, uh, the regular Digitrack Zephyr, that was a, if I remember correctly, like a two and a half amp. They bumped it up with the Zephyr Express, which is actually a three amp system um, right out of the box. So that there again, just like this MRC Prodigy, if you're not planning on running 
a lot of locomotives, you know, maybe a small handful, you know, depending on the scale. Obviously, the smaller the scale, the more the less power it power draw there is, not by a lot, but still. Um, if you're doing like say N scale, you're gonna be drawing a little bit less power to make those locomotives or the locomotive motors turn. So, you know, um, so that like, you know, the Digitrack Zephyr is a good starter system. But you get up into uh, and I'm trying, I got ahead of myself here. Uh, can't find my icons here, but now you get, go from that <clears throat> into, um, the, like the EVOX, uh, basically it's the evolution express advanced system, um, which is actually what I have. I actually have the duplex system. So I, everything I have is wireless, but it is uh, it comes straight out of the box with the included power supply with that system. It's a five amp supply. So that is going to be more, more than likely that is going to suit most people, regular railroads, unless you are running nothing but sound locomotives and you have all your sound locomotives on the tracks with their sound on and they're moving. A five amp system is probably going to be more than enough the eight amp system yeah which like i said you can actually use in their power supply and hooking it up which is what i did to get gain those extra three amps and i did that because i like having a little bit of i like having a little bit of of, of safety a safety net there when it comes to that because i don't like pushing it to the fullest or to its max you know so that was a good question uh, that John sent in to us regarding the uh, MRC Prodigy system. We had responded to him. Um, and the other thing you want to look at uh, with these systems are, can I add on to them later? You know, it, you know and, and this goes for any of them, you know, Digitrax, MRC, uh, you know, I mean, any of the top names. You know, I know for a fact that a person may be coming in buying the Digitrack Zephyr, or I guess it's the Zephyr Express now. You can add on. You you know, you start out with that, and if you row your railroad and you're like, "Oh crap, I need uh, I, this isn't I don't have enough space in the computer, whatever you want to call it, the circuit board memory, whatever for the locomotives I want to run, or maybe you need more power." you can connect this system to a evolution system you can upgrade and even for that matter you can you can run and control your trains from the zephyr or you can switch everything over to say the evolution system and use your zephyr system as a booster and you know separate your track and so that way if you have a shortening area you can use it for a, a booster as well in a place so there are a lot of ways that's, you know, that these digit or digital command control systems are making it easier all the way around. And if you're looking at getting into it or you're looking at whether you're new to the hobby or switching, um, do your research, find the system that's right for you. If you happen to know people in your area that have a certain system, um, Maybe go check it out if they'll let you get your hands. Because, I mean, let's face it, 
Um, I, I, I won't lie, the Digitrack system um, that I have, their big D605 or whatever they call them, throttles, the two throt, two knob throttles. Yeah, while they're nice, I don't prefer their throttles when I'm operating. I prefer their little utility single throttle UT6, I believe the number is on them, throttles for operating. But I need the big ones to do my programming and all that, which is a whole nother episode. But um, so, yeah, I hope that helps expand on John's questions that he was asking about the MRC Prodigy Advanced Controller. So um, we don't have a lot of time yet, but we are going to actually jump into on the second half here, kind of talking about building wood structures. Uh, craftsman kits, whatever you want to call them. Um, and I thought this would be good to do because actually I am building my first wood craftsman kit that I've built in a long time. Now, um, a lot of the stuff, it's like riding a bicycle. So I'm not worried about, you know, um, I know my building is going together like I like. Actually, if, if anything, it's going to better, it's going together better because well let's face it 15 years ago i was younger 10 whatever it was i was younger and i don't know let's just face it we're all not as patient when we're younger as we are as we get older um but but this but this building is going together exactly like i like so i'm i we're going to discuss that i'm just going to kind of tell you how i Go about and look at doing different things and 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 how I do it. Everybody, there's there's several ways to build these. There's several techniques for you know glue them together and uh, products wise and and how to paint them and depending on you want them you know uh, like fresh coat of paint or or slightly distressed paint or do you want them high, heavily distressed? There are so many different ways to go about it that. Um, I'm just going to kind of tell you how I do things and do your research. Like we always say, do your research. Um, but before we jump off here for our break, we would like to announce we have a, uh, we gained another Patreon premium supporter, Steve R. We want to say thank you, Steve, for your support. Um, it's just uh, another way to help us out here and, and so we can maintain stuff and keep things going. So we really, really appreciate that. Um, Steve gets the um, several added benefits. So he gets part of the uh, private Facebook group. He gets uh, access to like when we're done with recording this, usually within an hour after we're done recording, by the time we do our computer stuff and get it all uploaded and blah, 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 it gets put onto Patreon and he has access to it right away instead of waiting the following week to listen to the new one. So he has access to all the new episodes almost exactly the same time or shortly after we get them recorded, they come out. So in the meantime, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about wood structure kits. I'm going to give you uh, an updated review on the Mud Creek model that I, uh, I did a review last episode on it. And um, I did, I'm gonna give you an updated review on it now that I'm actually in the process of building it. And I am actually going to, uh, I guess, let you guys know, I've got 
a couple more locomotives coming in, Intermountain Railways. So uh, stick around, and we'll be back shortly. If you like our podcast, check out our videos on YouTube and TikTok. We have a variety of videos for you to enjoy along with live videos as well. Head on over to YouTube or TikTok and find us under Model Railroad Talk today. Do you have a model railroad business or does someone you know have one? Could they benefit from affordable advertising? Reach out to us at modelrailroadtalk at gmail.com. We have very affordable plans for those wanting to tell the model railroad community about their products. With over 15,000 impressions and over 1,500 listens a month on our podcast, you can easily get your name out there. So reach out to us to get started today. We are back. Yes, we are. So the first half, we talked about uh, an email that John B. had sent us uh, talking about DCC systems. And we we did respond in email to him, our, our visions, thoughts on his question. But if you're, we'll just kind of recap real quick. If you're new to the hobby, coming into the hobby or looking at getting in the hobby or you're in the hobby, but you're looking at converting from DC to DCC, uh, do your research on uh, the different systems and do put a little extra pen to pencil or pencil to paper and do a little bit of calculating uh, to figure out what system's going to be the best for you. Because a lot of people will just go by a system and i've seen this before when i was in the hobby before you know oh i i just got this system and you know and and within six months a year they're spending more money on a different system converting because they wish they would have bought and then you know in the end they wish they would have bought that system or that brand whatever from the get-go um, but the biggest thing is, is make sure the system's going to have the power to run your locomotives or the capability to expand as your railroad expands. Most manufacturers now, they do make them to where you can expand the systems to add more power or add more boosters, that kind of thing. But do your research if there's a club or you know some people in your area um this was brought up uh, a few episodes ago that yeah if you if 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 a certain area they're higher in digitrax and where others might be higher in mrc or nce or whatever you may want to go that route too for the fact that you're going to have people in your area that are knowledgeable of you know the system and they can help you out. So, all right, we have discussed in the past, and in fact, last episode, we did a product review for Mud Creek Models Building, uh, their Moritz Rod and Reel. And while at that time, we hadn't, we've, we just basically had it out of the box, looked at it, um, so this is going to be kind of a combo of 
what we think a uh, secondary product review now that we've actually we've got the four walls up and together um we're actually i'm actually getting ready to start my paint job on it on the exterior of it uh actually when i'm done recording this and then um and but i'm also going to kind of give you stuff that i use um to build um, I use several different products depending on how I'm building things and, and what I'm doing. So um, to get back to the Mud Creek Models building, up to this point, it is an excellent building. I've, I, I have built several other manufacturers' wood craftsman kits in the past. The one thing that I noticed right off the bat that makes their these mud creek model buildings stand out is when you take the packaging out you take your wood pieces your building pieces out of the packaging and is they've already done taking the pieces off of in a sense like it, in modeling when you're building the plastic things you got the the sprues you got to cut off and sand down where like they were connected from like the mold well they kind of do that same thing with these uh craftsman kits they put their put whatever style of wood you know in there and and then they run it through the laser and then of course they leave little what i call like tick spots to where it holds it to that and you know you have to usually you have to cut them out which not much you just have to find all the little spots cut those drop them out of your your main piece of wood and then you have to sand file however you do it want to do it um those little tick marks down and and while it's not that big of a deal these folks at mud creek models they do away with that that's one less little step that you have to deal with when you're trying to build um your 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 wood structure kit so well done on the Moritz model it's going together great um they give you plenty of wood for the uh backing um which is generally like a 16th uh 16th or an eighth inch square just basswood i like to put extra so i had to dig into my stash to put some extra beyond what they gave me but that's fine i i don't cut any of these places down i get it all of them do it. They don't, uh, they give you what, how they build them. And, you know, each person builds theirs, their wood kits differently. So I, yes, I had to get into my stash because I wanted to add a little bit of extra bracing. But, um, as far as, you know, the, the siding, uh, that the, the wood that they use, uh, this is a, just a wood siding, uh, structure, um, great detail. Um, uh, sometimes you you see them where I've had them in the past on even more expensive kits that you know it's it it varies it's not very precise and they use great wood so once again Mud Creek Models you guys did an excellent job with this kit and I'm excited to get it finished so um, look watch our Facebook page it will be up on there once we get it completed and um, yeah. So getting back to that, building wood craftsman kits, it doesn't really take a lot 
of tools and stuff like that to build one. Um, knowledge, I do recommend watching some videos um, if you've never built one before and start with something small as an example. Mud Creek Models, uh, they have uh, little like, they're like sheds and garages you can buy in HO and N scale and uh, without looking, I don't know if they do any other scales, but anyways, you can buy like a little uh, shed or garage. Start with something simple, just four walls, something easy. Um, get your feet wet with it because like we just talked, bracing is the key to wood structure kits. If you just pull it out of the package, uh, say, you know, put your corner support posts in, glue it together and start, you know, you get it all nice and glued and it looks great for you. And then you start applying paint. Well, doing that without any bracing, your walls are probably going to start warping or maybe not. But time sitting on your railroad with, and depending on what your climate is, you're going to start seeing the walls warp. Um, it's, it's just a fact of life. It's, it's, they're made of basswood and, um, it absorbs moisture and it releases moisture. So yeah. So bracing is the key when it comes to craftsman wood craftsman kits. Um, so make sure you have plenty of wood for me. I use six, uh, I'm sorry, eighth inch square wood. I, I just go to like my local hobby lobby shop. They sell it. I can, I get it in like, I want to say it's two foot lengths in a package. I think there's like four or six pieces in a package for a few bucks. Um, make sure you have plenty of those on hand when you are, when you first start out. Um, and if ever in question with the bracing, just, it's not going to hurt to add more. Um, now, what do you do if you are going to detail the interior to where people can actually look in and see stuff in there? There's different ways to go about that. And that's actually a different, that's a whole nother episode that we will do. But to kind of, you know, keep it on the bracing thing is you're still going to want that thicker bracing that, that, uh, eighth inch whatever but people have on like where people are going to be looking they do it on the opposite side opposite interior side of where people would be looking into the windows and you don't have to do the whole building just where people are going to see in there they will actually frame it up put framing in and i've even seen pictures of people where they've do the framing and actually put in paper or cardstock or whatever it is they do to make it look like drywall um you can also go online and, and find interior pictures and set them in there. I mean, there's plenty you can do for an interior, but that's not re really what we're, we're talking about here. So um, on this particular kit, I'm not doing an interior. So I just painted the interior walls black. Um, I was thinking about lighting it up, but if you light it up, you're going to have to, uh, you know, put some sort of interior because you, you will eventually find that one person it's going to be like, well, there's nothing in there. Why do you have it lit up kind of thing, you know? And yes, it is your railroad, but let's face it. If you're going to spend the time to light up an interior you or a building, you might as well make it worth your while. So we'll, we'll talk about that another time because I am planning on doing that down the road, but uh, not right now. So plenty of bracing on the walls. Okay, well, how do you attach them? 
you can use white glue. Um, there's many people that are successful with that. I don't recommend using it though. My personally, um, white glue, even when it's dry, it can be re, uh, what do you want to call it? Um, it, it can release if moisture gets into it. So like as an example here in Iowa, we have times where it is more humid. Well, yeah, even with AC and my layout being in the basement, the humidity level still changes um, some. And even having a dehumidifier, that helps. But there, it, when we have high humidity and high heat, you can still tell that there's humidity. Um, and even humidity can make the glue release. So what do I use? Okay. Uh, a lot of people, they use wood glue, like the yellow wood glue, which is perfectly fine. Um, cause one wood glue, when it is dried and cured, it is actually water repellent resistant, whatever, uh, waterproof. So that's what you want. Um, the downside to wood glue is it can, it becomes brittle. So if think of it this way, when the temperature and the humidity change that wood, it in a sense breathes. So like if, with higher humidity, higher moisture, that wood will swell a little bit. But then when, you know, you get either, okay, you go and buy a humidif dehumidifier or you get, uh, you know, like it is now wintertime, it, it, it's, you know, let's face it, where we're at, there's no moisture in the air, really. Um, it'll actually shrink. Well, wood glue is good to a certain degree for certain things. The main reason I don't use it is I have had it uh, corners break because wood glue is a little more brittle than what I use, which is called canopy glue. Um, canopy glue is, I, I'm, it's used basic, and you can find it almost anywhere online. I think I got mine through Amazon. Um, it is, it's basically used like you would think on to seal up canopies and stuff like that, like the seams and stuff. I learned it from, um, a long time, very talented model builder, Scott Mason. He used, he used to do videos and stuff. And if you look on YouTube, you might find him Scotty Mason. Um, but very talented craftsman structure builder he used to do that as his full-time job so um but he used i want to say it's formula 560 i think is what it is uh, by pacer industries if i remember correctly canopy glue and what i like about it is it looks like a white glue when it comes out you get it on it's easy to work with um you can put it uh as far as drying time it's about the same as a yellow wood glue but here's the catch and is while this may not, this may sound contradictory. It's really not in some aspects. It stays. I want to say, don't hear me out. It, it stays flexible to some degree. So as that wood breathes, you know, expands and contracts that glue will move with it. So it, unlike wood glue that gets brittle, that, potentially can break this canopy glue still holds it still keeps its tack so it won't 
break apart and you won't start having pieces or, or corners start breaking apart. And, you know, um, but when this stuff is dry, it's waterproof, water resistant, whatever you want to call it. It has to be if it's used on canopies, right? So it's a very good thing that I've used. So on my structures, I, especially the main building of putting the supports and when you start putting the building together in your corners and stuff like that, I use the canopy glue. In the grand scheme of things, yes, per ounce or whatever you want to call it, it probably does cost, it is a little more than what wood glue costs. Um, but in the end, it's worth it. I have in the past, uh, based on experience, this is where I've used both white glue and I've used regular wood glue on kits and the white glue I had fall or walls fall, just collapse off because the white glue released yellow glue. I would pick up a building to, you know, say clean track behind it. And I would notice the corner it, uh, like where the, the two corners came together, whether an inside or an outside corner, it was uh, warped a little and you get to look in while well, the yellow glue kind of cracked in that area and without noticing it right away, um, which let's face it, once you get a structure on a building, once you get your scenery done, about the only time you move them is if you're tr uh, cleaning track and that's when I noticed it. And by that point, the that portion of the wall was warped that i couldn't fix it while i looked into the canopy glue put some of that in the corner yes that helped fortunately on that layout it was like the back side of the building so i wasn't really too worried about it and i'm glad i caught it when i did but you know that's that's why you use the canopy glue um like we said make sure you've got plenty of square wood on hand uh like i said i get mine at hobby lobby um any or you can get it at different like michaels and stuff like that i recommend basswood you can get balsa wood balsa though is a more porous and softer wood than basswood so by going with the basswood you're going to get a better you're going to get a better wood for what we are doing in this hobby so um the other thing too, make sure you have plenty of exacto blades, knife blades, you know, whether they're the number 11s. Um, I use, uh, I've got the Northwest Shortline chopper, uh, which is basically like a miter saw in a sense. Um, I have that. So make sure you've got plenty of single edge razor blades. Um, if you're using uh, a number 11 blade, which is basically like a chisel blade, um, you know, it, it, make sure you got plenty of blades. You are going to want to keep those, especially if you're going to, if you're doing scratch building or kit bashing of these, you're going to want sharp blades to keep your edges square and, and, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, you're going to also want to make sure you've got sandpaper or sanding sponges. Um, I use a little both. I've even got uh, sanding sticks. They're basically, I picked them up years ago and I've, I still have them, so they last forever. Um, like what uh, women use when they're doing their nails, you know, um, emery boards or whatever they're called. Um, those work great because you can get them in small places, but yet you get, uh, 
you know, you get the the stiffness of the emery board or, or the sanding stick, whatever. But, you know, it's not like super aggressive, that kind of thing. You can do a lot finer stuff, uh, finer detail stuff with more precision control with those. Uh, make sure you've got toothpicks um, and, and or micro brushes. I have both. Uh, the micro brushes are good for spreading glue or uh, over like, say, like you're doing a scale two by six or something. Instead of using your finger, um, you can use a micro brush to spread it. Um, also, micro brushes are good for painting, uh, fine detail and fine spots. Toothpicks, you can do the same thing with both of them, um, just only uh, depending on what kind or if they're just the point on both sides or some of them, they have like the little flat chisel kind of thing on the other side um your choice uh i like them both um but the other thing you're going to want to also make sure you have is some sort of square i have oh i want to say i think it's a mic uh, i think it's an exacto brand i don't remember um it's basically an, it's an actual uh, little miniature square that's probably four inches long on one side and two or three inches on the other. Um, they do make magnets, which I'm actually looking at purchasing here real soon because I'm getting the point with the railroad that I need to start getting um, uh, structures in and get them built. And uh, like Bachman, they make uh, these little corner magnets that, you know, you piece on the inside, piece on the outside, and it holds them in place. And then you can put your glue, you can use it for wood or plastic structures, that kind of thing. And I'm looking at getting some of those, but, uh, but the biggest thing you also, besides those, you also need a, some sort of square to make sure your corners are square. Um, while no, we're not going to actually be living in them and let's face it, our little people, they probably don't care that on your layout, they're probably just going to be happy to have a place to go. Um, you know, but you can tell if you have say structures around you know, say you have several structures in an area and they're all, you got your corners square and then you got that one where they're not, the roof don't line up well, windows and doors just don't look right. Um, and you can, you can find these squares for, you know, depending on where you look, you can get them for a reasonable price. Micromark is actually a good place to go. I recommend, um, that's where I get a lot of my specialty tools like that. And you don't need a lot of tools to build a wood craftsman kit, but little things like we just talked about, that's basically all I use. Um, I do have a cutting mat. Um, I've got several types of blades. I use an X-Acto blade. I use uh, Olfla knives for different things. There's the, but your basic, you're gonna want your glue. I recommend the canopy, canopy glue. And you can use that for everything. And you can even use the canopy glue to go back to it on the windows. Instead of gluing the plastic windows to the back of your windows, like they mostly send on those, you can actually use that and go over like the little individual panes and get a coating there. And when it dries, it's clear and it looks more lifelike of glazed windows than the plastic pieces. So there's a lot of advantages to the canopy glue, but um, you're going to want some sort of glue. I recommend canopy glue. You're going to want, um, I would recommend at least your standard X-Acto knife. Um, if you're, like we talked last episode, you are modeling, building things in small spaces, 
you may not have room to or want to do like the Northwest Shortline Chopper. So I would recommend having some sort of way that you can whether the exacto with what is it? Uh, it's not the number eleven. It's basically the flat chisel blade, something that you can cut on, or uh, just make sure you have plenty of blades so you can cut your wood. Um, glue, wood, paper towels, of course. Make sure you have maybe a bottle of water. Um, you know, um, and then knife blades, sanding, something to sand with, uh, and then you know, like toothpicks or something to help you place the glue in. Sometimes you need to get them in that small, small spaces. So, um, and the last thing is when you're building these, and this is more so when you're building the actual structure, the framing, you got your, your, uh, bracing on the back of your main walls. You got your corners that you're going to glue together when it's all said and done your roof, give them plenty of time for the glue to cure. Um, while the canopy glue and the most wood glues dry to a point that you can continue on fairly quickly. I want to say when I used to build them in the past, I could get, uh, you know, I mean, within probably a half hour, I was putting my, my walls together and stuff after I put the bracing on. If you have time, I give it a little longer. I'd like to give it 24 hours if I can, a minimum three to four hours. Um, but if you can give it 24 hours in between each step, the better. You're really giving that glue the time to cure, set up, and give it a little expansion and contraction depending on, you know, the weather and where you're building at. Um, and then you move on to the next step. Now, the next step, which we don't have enough time in this episode, is what? Painting and that kind of thing. And we will touch on that in an episode or two. Um, but this episode, we're running, we're kind of running short on time with that. So, but that's a whole, kind of a whole nother subject because, you know, like we said, do you want to paint it for a fresh paint job on it? Or it's got some slight wear to it or you know that thing's been there and hasn't been touched by paint in 30 years you know so there's whole bunches of different ways to go about that so um also keep your eyes peeled and uh ears open probably next episode or within the next couple episodes we're going to be doing a review on the intermountain railway brand uh ho scale ge et 44 uh it's uh, actually called Tier 4 uh, Locomotive. Um, we ordered a couple in for the KCS, which will work good with our CP scheme. Uh, so, but in the meantime, uh, we're looking forward to ha getting those in and some of their cars in and, and doing some reviews on those. But I want to thank you guys for supporting this podcast and continue to support this podcast. It's clear that you guys are uh, listening to this and sharing it. And because I see the numbers uh, almost on a daily basis go up um, and with the people that are coming on board, uh, whether it be through Patreon or on the Facebook page or the, I'm, I'm also seeing on our website site activity, uh, more and more of that, which is great because that's why I set this website up. So everybody has a place in this hobby to go. So if I, if that's the one thing I could ask you, you know what, 
use the website. It's free. The only thing we ask is you si sign up for, uh, get a login on there, which it does it automatically. Simple sign up. And the only reason we do that is so we can keep the, the spam bots, whatever you want to call it, out of there. It helps us maintain control of that so we don't get bombarded with stuff. But there's forums on there. There's uh, groups and stuff. You and, and it's all free for you guys. And you can go on there and, you know, you can create your own forum or add to our forums, ask questions. Um, so, um, but that's at www.modelrailroadtalk.com. Dot com. Um, you can reach out to us, modelrailroadtalk at gmail.com. Check us out on TikTok and YouTube. We just put up uh, a couple of update videos here Friday, I think it was, a couple days ago, something like that. Um, check that out. Um, we, we're hoping to get more into the video side, but uh, as time allows, let's put it that way. Uh, Check us out on patreon.com forward slash model railroad talk. If you would like to support us, we thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the support and feedback, emails, contacts. Um, it, it just helps me continue on with this podcast and continue the model railroad revolution that we all are all are part of and need to keep going so we can keep this, you know, the world's greatest hobby going and share it with everybody and let everybody see our smiles on our faces and, you know, Hey, whatever, let's give them something to talk about. Right. So, um, yeah. And if you, by all means, reach out to us, uh, you have any questions, anything at all, we would be glad to answer them. So until the next time, keep your train on the tracks.